Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly, whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend, and I'm sick. And thank goodness John is here, the crappie hippie. John, take it. John is here, the crappie hippie is here to help his buddy out. Here I am, John King, the crappie hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, and co-founder of Glasswater Angling Lead-Free Fishing, sailing through the window with my underwear on the outside of my pants. To help play out tonight because he's (laughs) feeling a little rough. He's feeling a little worn and he is needing some help. So here I am to co-host my brother. Ah, thank you. Thank you. So if you remember in the last episode, before we get into what's happening this episode, I talked about this fishing trip I was supposed to go on with like John Davidson, you know, from TV and other famous people. And uh, the trip happened, but John Davidson did not make it to the boat. No, no, but you did have the cool guy that did the rock and roll stuff, right? Yeah, we had Kimball Packard, who cool. used to be, uh, there's a 1970s rock star named Melanie he used to be the manager of. That's the only name. Yes. Um, among other people. I guess she still has a large following. Uh, he told stories about her, about having dinner and spending time with Miley Cyrus's house, and it was good. But we didn't record anything for the podcast, because uh, it just well, didn't dang, happen. <laughs> I, think, I think Melanie played uh, Woodstock. Uh, she did. She did. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but anyway, it was, it was fun. Rich Collins was there, and uh, George Cleveland, the grandson of Grover Cleveland, was there. We mostly just fished and didn't catch anything the whole time. One, <laughs> one, one little smallmouth bass. One little small. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, can't complain. So a big dud. And, and then last night, I went to John Davidson's show. He does a one-man show in, in a town called Sandwich, New Hampshire, called Club Sandwich. His name was Club. Uh, and uh-huh. it's this little, it seats 45 people. It's all old love seats and recliners and this tiny stage. And John Davidson does this Broadway or Vegas style one man show in this little tiny stage. It's got the lighting and smoke and effects and everything you would see in a big <laughs> show, but there. And he used to have a Vegas residency. Like he, John Davidson was no joke as a, as a performer back in the 70s and 80s. No, I mean, and I'm not surprised he did a stint in Vegas. Heck yeah. Yeah, and he, he has the record for the most hosts ever of the uh, of the Tonight Show. He used to substitute for Johnny Carson. So anyway, uh, a lot of fun hanging out, and we saw him in the show. And he apologized after the show. He saw me doing a whole lineup of autograph signing, and he goes, Hey, Clay, I'm sorry I missed the boat. <laughs> you know, we would give him a hug after. We had a good talk. So, But next year, okay. for sure, he's he's got a couple more shows left, and he's heading to Mexico for a big a giant boat tour. He's going to go on the water. Who knows where he's going? Who knows where he's going? He's, he's 81. It might be a one-way trip. <laughs> I, you know, I hope I'm kicking around like that when I'm 81. That yeah. gives me hope, man. Yeah. Uh, so you've been hitting the water. Have you been doing any fishing, John? I have not been doing any fishing. It's been really um, depressing. It's been really tough, but uh, we've got to keep the big boy pants on. We're having a a family crisis and that's not been good but mainly um i got me a big old order from maine audubon brother and uh you know how i said in the one show that i planned on posting a bunch of jigs yeah well laura bought them all so how sorry everybody yeah, nothing's wrong with that but i i, I you know i'd taken the pictures so, in fact it's great clay it's great it's one of those things where we're procrastinating and not getting stuff done because I have so much to do. I don't even agonize over it anymore because I know I'll never get caught up. <laughs> There's and, no such thing uh, as done. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, so I, I got them shot, but I never got them up on the website. And the next thing you know, Laura's going, hey, I am out of stuff. I'll take, you know, I'll take whatever you got. So Beautiful. She, she's, give me them all. So Beautiful I, I thing. See, you know, that's the power of having a podcast, John. It is the it power. connects you with people and they feel like you're part of what you're doing. And they are. So that's amazing. Hey, it really connects because she invited me to go fishing and hang out at her place for a couple of days, and I'm going to go do it. Well, you know, if there's an opening on the boat, give me a call. I'll, I'll drive out. <laughs> well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I want to ask I'm, I'm, the, I'm the invited guest. So I understand. I, there, there was not a plus. Well, my plus one is. You got Kathy. Okay. And why don't you give us a rundown what's happening on tonight's show? Well, we're going to do a little fish in the news. Um, we're going to do a little news about a friend of ours. 
And then we're going to jump on over to an interview done for us by Todd Correa, the fish wrap writer. And he talked to Glenn Place of the Rhode Island Trout Unlimited. He is the president of Rhode Island Trout Unlimited. And he's going to talk about some of their work removing dams. Um, then I think you're going to give us some product reviews. All righty. And then we're going to wind this sucker up with culinary corner or culinary corner. However you want to say it, we're just fine with that. Uh, our own Jeff Donaldson, the flatland fly fisher is going to prepare or has prepared some sable fish. So you're going to find out what a sable fish is. And this is a fish that's, uh, right up in the top 10 best tasting fish there is. And, uh, He's going to tell us all about it. I'm oh, looking forward to that. I don't even know what sable fish is, so I'm, I'm excited to learn. To it's learn. really cool, and it's because we took one more gar fishing trip, and next thing you know, on our way home, we found ourselves talking about, or no, I think it was while we were winding down. Anyway, that doesn't matter. The point is, what's deep water fishing to you, Clay? What's, what's a deep water fish to you? Uh, fresh water or salt? It doesn't really matter, fresh or salt. You uh, tell me. Deep water fish, like like I go out in the ocean for deep water fish, and we're catching things like um, haddock at 175, 200 feet down. Okay, that's so, deep. That's deep. See, because yeah. to, to me, crappie fisher, 40 feet. You yeah. know, I've I've fished lake trout before, 78, 80 feet down. That's probably the deepest I've gone. Mm -hmm. Well, these sable fish come out of a thousand feet of water. Wow. I mean, not typically, I mean, but like they spawn in like a hundred feet, like 80 to a hundred feet of water. That's their shallow water environment for spawning. Good Lord. So, yeah. So the 500, 600, a thousand, they, they're down there. So you're going to find out all about that here in a little bit. That's going to be our final piece. Exciting. And we will tell our people, thank you. And we'll get on out of here. We will. And uh, why don't we lead off with talking about national podcast posting month that's coming up in November and it's October now. So it's time to start thinking about what we're going to do. And we have a plan, this year's plan, which we've never planned ahead. But this year, you came to me and said, Clay, we need a plan. <laughs> uh, this year's plan, if you want to give a call to the Fish Nerds hotline, it's 607-378-FISH. We're asking you to tell us your fishy pet peeves. Is that right? Yeah, and, and you put a little pressure on people to be, you know, you spice it up, be this, be that. Tell us a story. That's your natural way to tell a story. Yeah. That's great. But I want submissions. I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, if you don't tell a story, we will. So if you come exactly. up with and say, my, my, <laughs> my pet peeve is, you know, one-eyed fish who swim in circles, we'll tell a story about that for you if you don't give it to us. So we will make it, uh, we'll stretch you out a little bit. So. <laughs> yes. But my main thing is we don't want anyone being shy. Now, just, just, you know, and you can call the hotline, you can go on the website and hit the icon. There's a microphone right there. And Hey, and the, the advantage is, you know, I don't care if you have to start over three times, just hit the mic and make a mistake, stop, hit it again. Well, we're fine. We, we know how to edit this stuff. We'll take care of you. Yeah. Well, the easiest then, way, course, John, you... is to grab your phone exactly. and use the voice memo and just push record and you get just right. Email that to clay at fishnerds.com and uh, or crappie hippie at glasswaterangling.com. Easy as that. And all the links are in the show notes. So we'll get on with that. And we'll do giveaways in November for some of the entries and have some fun with it as well. We'll talk more about that as we get closer to it. But November is National Podcast Posting Month. And we want you to participate so we don't have to do all the work ourselves. We're busy. Exactly. We're busy. <laughs> and we'll be doing 30 podcasts in 30 days. That's a lot of work. Yes, so, indeed. We'll do it. We'll do it. All right. Why don't we jump in the news, John? That's, you know what? I love fish in the news. Let's go. All right. It's the orange button. All right, John, you take it. Okay, now I have some seriously science, science stuff. We've had some scary stories. We've had some uh, fish attack your mole stories. We've had some some fun stories and some shocking stories, but this is going to be nerd heavy right here. We're coming at you with a story of a 455 million year old fossil fish that provides a new perspective on how vertebrates evolved to protect their brains. Wow. So... You know when Tim and Lucy fried my brain in that that thing that Tim got off uh, eBay. You know I developed ultra bone, so yes. <laughs> I'm artificially I'm artificially advanced. You know, but this is talking about evolution, okay? Not 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 technology induced uh, brain protection. Um, it, it's uh, it was from a paper published in Nature. And uh, it comes from the University of Birmingham Naturalist Biodiversity Center in Leiden, uh, Netherlands, Leiden, Netherlands, and their National Natural History Museum as well. 
on the Arab. <laughs> I practiced this so hard. I did. I, I, got, I, I have my 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 applause button ready if you get this right. Arapiticus Americanus. <laughs> okay. Settle down. Settle down. Hey, 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 it's enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the research was funded by the Leverhulme Trust, and it suggests that ancient jawless fish and ancient jawless fish found in deposits in Colorado, USA, has a skull unlike that of any previously seen and fills a gap in our evolutionary record spanning approximately 100 million years. So that's a huge gap. That hit, yeah, that's a big gap. You know, it's interesting. That, I used to teach evolution. And I had anti-evolution people, parents, who were against it in my class. And one of their arguments against evolution was these gaps. So their argument was, we don't know everything, therefore nothing is true. And yes, so yes, anytime yes. you could fill in a little gap, that helps tell the story. And it you know provides more evidence in support of what we know to be true. <laughs> so. Well... You know, I love all the scientists we have on this show because, you know, like Dr. Schiffman says, there's areas that receive a lot of really deep study. Like we know basically everything about great white sharks or they're very well researched. And then there's dozens and dozens of species that are very little research, if any at all. And there's look so many things to know and only so many scientists. And it's it, it's crazy. Uh, but they got this sample that was actually collected in the 1940s. And um, it's housed in the Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Um, but the what the deal is, is we go from like fish that, uh, you know, don't have a, any kind of protection to a solid bone or cartilage structure that uh, shows up in jawless and jawed fish that followed Arapiticus. And uh, this one, though, has a fully bound cage of cartilage that holds the brain uh, that's... Uh, uh, it's separate. Wait a minute now. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You're going to have to cut. Something. All right, we'll do it now. Let's do a big pause here. Okay. So the deal that's, that, that is different about Arapiticus, this ancient fish had separated independent cartilages encasing the brain rather than the solid bone or cartilage structure of jawless and jawed fish that followed it. So, so like a big, soft rubber helmet. Exactly. And, and you know, but it's... it's um, it has the but they're independent. So uh, somehow, you know, the brain was actually, yeah, maybe um, the skull was a little more flexible. I don't really know, but it, it, <laughs> it's in two pieces, like kind of meshed together, maybe held together with muscle. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's just super exciting um, in a geeked out type of way. Um, uh, they use some modern techniques, some DN, um, 3D uh, photography techniques, 3D uh, representations of the skull. And uh, this is the first comprehensive recreation that's been done on the specimen uh, recreation. Yes, recreation. We took it out. We kicked it around the lab floor. No, <laughs> recreation. Recreation. Recreation done in a computer with the 3D, you know, CI stuff. Um, and uh, it, it's pretty cool. So now, like you say, we've got this gap filled. So let's so. Well, to be clear. So this is in between having nothing protecting your brain and having a skull. So this is that gap. This is. Yes, early brain right protection. That's early cool. brain protection. Early, yes, indeed. So, thank you, Arapiticus. And if Americanus, the Americanus is easy, right? Yeah, the Americanus is easy because it was yeah. found in Colorado. So, thank you all. Thank you, Doctor Richard Dearden, and all the rest of y'all for uh, Doctor Ivan Sampson and yeah, some of these other doctors uh, communicating this stuff to us and. Uh, and they had that, and and that was at the you said the Field Museum of Chicago. The Field Museum of Chicago used to have a fish nerd podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, they had a podcast. I forget what it was called, but they called themselves Fish Nerds <laughs> in their podcast. So, well, I don't know if the podcast awesome. still exists anymore, but it, yeah, I used to listen to it once in a while. I, mean, I always wanted to go visit that museum too. Well, I'll bet because I'm sure it's pretty fascinating, pretty complete, and. Uh, uh, like no other in the world. Yep, like no other. All right, cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Filling in some fossil gaps with that helmet head fish. Now let's talk about Methuselah. All right. A lot of people have seen this, I'm sure, but the uh, oldest fish in captivity, Methuselah, arrived in the U.S. in 1938. And Holy smokes. 
Holy smoke. She was part of a shipment of 230 other fish that came from Australia to the Steinhardt Aquarium in San Francisco in 1938 as a little small fish mm-hmm. and typical story. They took care of her. They fed her. Uh, she grew. Folks came to look at her and she looked back at the folks. And um, the cool thing, though, she's an Australian lungfish. Right. And this is, what, this, this is the punchline right here. This is what blew me away about the story. What's important about lungfish is that they're more closely related to humans and cows than they are to ray fin fish like salmon or cod. Um, that's amazing. That's just, yeah, that is amazing. And uh, more in tune with uh, mammals. Uh, just they're, now, were, well, they, always, were they one of the first animals to crawl out of the sea? Like when you're looking at those evolutionary drawings, you see that animal climbing out of the ocean. Is that a lungfish? Yes, I mean, I think so. It was This is what the theory is anyway. Lungfish are believed to be an example of the original creatures that crawled out of the water and moved to land in evolutionary history. Uh, when it was first discovered in 1870, the first science to describe this fish described it as a type of amphibian. That's not, so, that's not a shock. No. Considering that fish are such a poorly defined animal anyway. That's right. I was going to get into that. You're, that's yeah. one of your favorite topics. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. You can't. You, well, it's really hard. You can't uh, hardly um, say something is true about all fish right? because there are always these exceptions. And this is one of the biggest exceptions, uh, breaking all kinds of records. Not only is she 93, what is it, 90 some years old? Yep. Um, but uh, um, she, um, a lungfish, uh, has the largest genome of any animal. It used to be held by the Mexican. Uh, What's it called? An axolotl? No, no, no uh, John, John, that, that's it's axolotl. Axolotl. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. phonetically it's a, spelled. Yeah, axolotl is a cute little like uh, amphibian with these gills on the outside. Yes. My, my kid Blue Jay has a T-shirt that says has a picture of an axolotl. It says, "You ask a lot of questions." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Blue Jay. All right, I love that. Oh, yeah, my they're, God. they're cute. They're cute. Unlike this lungfish, Methuselah. Very smiling. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, really cool. They are really cool. But uh, off the off the record holder for the number of base pairs, they had 32 BN base pairs. Well, this fish has 43 BN base pairs of in the genome structure. Wow. Roughly 14 times the number of a human genome. So um, genetics is really straightforward for normal fish, said David T. Roberts, senior scientist with Sequater, the statutory authority of the government of Queensland and Australia. Uh, still got some lungfish there living in the wild. And he says, yeah, the genetics is really quite forward for normal fish. But for lungfish, they're so unique and so different that all these techniques to study them uh, didn't or don't work. So it is very, very interesting. Uh, she is not the record oldest fish, though. It was... Oh, fish. Not the first time these techniques have been used to study fish. These DNL tools. Oops, DNL. DNL. <laughs> Not the first time these techniques have been used. Now scientists are using DNA tools to look at methylation, the way DNA is turned on or off to date fish, because you can't, you don't have that autolith in the ear of a lungfish. It's, mm-hmm. They have a, a, a ear bone, but it's uh, not the same composition as other fish. Um, so they using these same DNA tests to, uh, uh, test a lungfish named granddad that lived at the shed aquarium in Chicago and was thought to be 109 years old. That's amazing. Give or take six years. So she, 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 she might get there. She might get there. I imagine aging a fish to be a lot like aging a tree in that, like when those growth wings are so close together, it must be very difficult to like be perfect on accuracy. Yes, absolutely. I can't, I can't imagine, but, uh, they say uh, she's not really showing that much signs of aging. She's always just been a, a very easygoing, easy sure. to care for fish. Well, there there is loves. one way to find out the age for sure. Yeah. I just get the birth certificate. Yeah, in the Pixar movie about the lungfish. I yeah. can't wait. Start writing the script Let's immediately. Let's do it, man. So anyway, Methuselah, who knew? Um Took a little piece of her about the size of a peppercorn and figured out, yeah, she's right at 92, 93 years That's old. That's amazing. And, uh, you know what's neat, it John? It is fabulous. Is, is I've been to that aquarium when I was a kid. I lived in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And, cool. and, and I wonder, did I see Methuselah and, and not notice? 
I'm sure you did. I'm sure I did. So now I feel like I've crossed paths with this old fish Methuselah. Now I want to go back and have a reunion and say, it's me, yeah. Clay. I was seven. <laughs> I was going to say, you hoped she remembers you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be great if we could test that. And nothing in this article about how good Methuselah's memory is. No. No, no behavioral stuff. Just proving that she's the oldest one in captivity at the present. Just old. Yeah. Well, Imagine that you claim to fame, just being old. What are you good at? I'm being, I'm old. Yeah, what, hey. what can you do about, I'm, I'm just old. <laughs> but what skills uh, do you have? Nothing. I'm just older than I'm you I'm just are. old. Yeah. Hey, survival, baby. Survival. Yeah. Let's see. You know. I outlived you, so screw you. <laughs> yeah, let's see where you're at when you're 92. I got I nothing think. to prove. I've, I've lived longer. <laughs> well, and the thing is, you know, I was about to say, well, she's the smart one. Well, I say she. They don't. They they switch gender pronouns and stuff because they're really not sure. Yeah. What uh, gender she is, but um, you know, she's got all these people hand feeding her, taking care of her, looking after her. Well, it's um, arguable. So let's see if people need to hand feed me at ninety two. What I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, I would like to be hand fed now. Now it's <laughs> it, it is probable that that she lived longer in captivity than she would in the wild. Oh, they said without a doubt. Without a They're, doubt, yeah, because yeah. there's, there's no predation. There's nothing coming after her. They're controlled environments. So right, yeah. right, and they are, um, but they're, um, you know, they've adapted. They've adapted. They have a better handle on their environment than the fish that are entirely dependent on water. Because uh, I've seen people dig lungfish out of the like mud so dry you didn't you wouldn't think, mm-hmm. and then they get down about six inches and you start getting mud, and they go down a little further and. Those poor little things squeak when you pull them out of their holes. It kind of makes you sad. <laughs> well, so terrible, John. Well, all right. Any more news? That oh, look at no. Let's let's that's, that's, that's got, enough news for tonight. Well, I think we got bigger news. We we need to. Oh, we do it. have. We have one last big story. Angie all Scott right. has made the news. Angie Scott. Angie Scott, our friend Angie Scott, has indeed made the news. Go with it, man. I I don't have the article open. <laughs> you don't have the article of it. No, I, I the link didn't work. <laughs> well, let me get it here. Hang on. All right. The Outdoor Media Summit 2023 People's Choice Award once again has gone to the woman has once again gone to the woman angler and adventurer podcast. Look at her. She did it. I mean it. She did it. I think this is like third time she's won. She's always in the top five. Uh, She does great with this um, highlight. uh, Go out there. A lot of of, uh, very good podcasts. She's worked really hard on it. She's done it. Pretty much all by herself for six years now. Just past her 300th episode. And uh, so we just want to say congratulations, Angie. Glad, yeah, well to, be well yeah, glad to be friends. Well done. Well done. Now, I wonder why. Uh, so so people might be wondering why the fish nerds aren't winning these awards. And it's because we don't enter. <laughs> right, right, right. We haven't tried I, really all that hard to win awards. So we should, yeah, maybe we, we should uh, get in the game a little bit. Well, we need to get into an organization, I guess. I know. You got to join the clubs. Got to join the clubs that are handing them out. Um, well, I was looking into the Webby Awards, John. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And uh, we could win the Webby Award. But you know what it costs to enter? What? $300. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. And I used we're, to we're... enter the, there was a podcasting uh, award. I forget what the name of the company was putting it together. Uh, the company, uh, Blueberry, the podcasting company put together every year. They still do it. People's Choice Awards for podcasting. We used to enter that one. Uh, but it costs $10 to enter, which is no big deal to pay. You know, an entry fee is normal. But okay. we never had a chance because they put outdoors, uh, outdoor podcast in with sporting podcasts. We're competing oh, yeah. with football. And, exactly, yes. And, all, and, and other sports. And, and the one in the top podcast in that category always going to be um, fantasy sports podcasts. So uh-huh. it's a different category. If it was just outdoors we might have a shot at it. So I stopped paying that entry fee as well because it was just like throwing money against the wall. Right, right. No, so, no chance of it sticking. So yeah. uh, and, I will tell and there's you. there's no, I've never seen just a fishing category for podcast awards. I haven't it's either. Too, too niche. Yeah, outdoor is as close as you're ever going to get. You'll yeah. get lumped in with hiking and hunting and all the rest well, of it. Well, it's funny because I was having, I was interviewing a company called Granite Outdoor Alliance. It's a, group of outdoor enthusiasts to get together to try to get other outdoor enthusiasts businesses together to do good things for the community environment and marketing. And they look very different at like hiking guides and river guides as to like fishing and hunting guides. They, there's, they say there's a hook and bullet crowd and the hiking outdoor enthusiast crowd. And they think we're different. And I think, uh, yeah, and I yeah. think we're not that different. 
Well, there's certainly like we all do plenty of hiking, especially I know you do. Sure. When you want to go up into the brookie trout areas up there in those beautiful mountains there, you're you're hiking along. I know you go out hiking with the kids, you're a forager, all that stuff. So yeah, there is definitely a ton of crossover. Yeah. I think there's plenty uh, of crossover. And I think I think looking at them as very, very different might be to the detriment of the outdoor industry, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, yes. I don't and, want to take and, away from Angie's award, which is amazing. No, we won't so. and we'll and and not to take away from her award, but maybe this will help you feel a little better. I generally submit um a piece or two to woman angler and adventurer podcast and generally angie picks it up one time i interviewed her for her own podcast because she was having a busy week and she needed something um this year i sent her the interview with on on ice and she loved it and she's in a jam because she's got a big tournament to fish so we're helping her out dude we're just the nicest guys oh so look at us it's called a feed swap dropping our, our podcast into her feed there look at that and so we at least have a toe in the door. There it is. Well, maybe we should right. join one of these organizations. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But which one? I don't know. Um, I don't know either. I don't but know. what I, I do know. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Oh no, I, I, I was going to say. I just know I'm very proud of Angie, and I'm, I hope she keeps going at what she's doing because it's fun to see watch her be successful. It is very fun to watch her be successful. She's an amazing person, and we wish her well, and we love it when she comes around. Yeah. Well. Okay, have I covered it now, bro? Yeah, let's get out of the news. Hang on, I'll hit the button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. You know, what's interesting, John, is yesterday I was fishing with my friend Nick Swagger, Hudson Swagger, who wrote the Fish in the News theme song. Yeah. And my phone kept getting text messages. And my text message is, my text message chime is the news theme. And, he, and every time it chimed up, he just kept smiling. <laughs> well, love Nick. He's a good fisher, and yeah. uh, we sure appreciate it. We, for a podcast, you know, like this one, I'll say that it's just kind of thrown together by some folks that just said, hey, let's do a podcast, or joined up with this crazy guy, crazy two guys, you and Dave, yep. uh, that put this together and have attracted all these folks that uh, want to contribute. We get a lot of good stuff. You know what I'm saying? We have great stuff because we have great listeners. And Yes, I, my one of my favorite thing is is all the music. Like how much original music is in this podcast? Yes, it is all stuff that's written for the show and for an independent show that's pretty near unheard of. To actually to have it be good too, which it is. So it is very good. And yeah. as a matter of fact, one thing that makes it so good is that you think being a nerd, you know, you think that means you don't have a personality. Doesn't you think that doesn't mean you're fun? It, of course, we prove that that is wrong because we've got people like Doc. And so on that are just so much fun. And guess what? We got this new guy, Todd Carrere, the fish rap writer. Yes. And what do you think? You know, the president of the Rhode Island Trout Unlimited. Um, well, stuffy guy. I, you know, because I've, I've spoken no. to, I've spoken to the Maine Trout Unlimited. And I've spoken to the New Hampshire Trout Unlimited. Okay. And those guys were okay. But nothing compared to our smallest state, Rhode Island. <laughs> yes anyway this gentleman's name is glenn place he is the president of rhode island trout unlimited tu225 and uh he, he's really fun to listen to he's you, you can tell this guy just gets totally into what he's doing and uh check it out nice conversation with our own todd career and glenn place of the rhode island trout unlimited 225 Howdy, Glenn. Thank you for coming to the podcast with us. Thank you for joining the Fish Nerds podcast today. And we're very happy to have you here to talk about Chapter 225 for the Rhode Island Chapter of Trout Unlimited. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Okay, so I know to you in general, on a national level and in your local lever, uh, level, <laughs> pull the lever for the level 225, is very involved with restoring and protecting cold water habitats for fish, like wild trout, like wild brook trout. Can you please tell us about how you're removing old dams like the one you did as a group project on the Flat River in the Arcadia management area over here in Rhode Island. Oh my God, Todd, what a, what a project. If, if you were to pick one project that collaboratively brought together a bunch of uh, government agencies and non-government agencies and volunteers, this would be the one. This was an old derelict, basically a dam slash stone wall that was on the Flat River that was used to power some ancient mills 100 years ago. 
really great when you can have the president and CEO of Charter Limited come down and give you a hand and get his hands wet and waiters dirty. Super, super simple. One, the important thing about removing that particular dam, it was an incredible thermal refuge in the summertime. It just raised the temperature of the waters downstream. It was a pretty easy lift. We had about a dozen and a half, two dozen guys. Uh, knocked it out in about an hour and a half with heavy work and then maybe about three hours just placing some rocks. It was really great to restore that aquatic passage through that particular area, flush out the system and really make some great habitat for wild brook trout. That was uh, that sounds like an excellent day. I'm very impressed to hear that the CEO and president of Trout Unlimited National, our good friend Chris Wood was there. Chris is a, a tireless advocate for cold water fisheries and I'm always impressed the few times that I've met him, I'm, I'm first of all, I'm always impressed he remembers my name, but I'm always impressed that he's willing to get in and get dirty. And like you said, you know, his hands are dirty, his, his waders are dirty and muddy, and he was right there in the river with the rest of us. Um, I was back there a few weeks ago, and the river is flowing beautifully. It's opened up. The, the marsh has changed a little bit above it, and it looks like the trout will be able to migrate um, upwards and stay in some of those cooler waters. you agree? I, I think you're absolutely right. One of the, the nicest things that happened that day is after we removed the dam and everyone's sitting down there and having lunch, and uh, we go back to kind of do some some last-minute uh, placement of rocks, uh, we could actually see a couple of brook trout swimming up upstream, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. So in no time at all, it seemed like the fish knew what was happening and they were going right back up to their historic waters. Absolutely. Okay, so Glenn, I know that Rhode Island has more than 740 dams dating back to even colonial times. Has your chapter, 225 of uh, Trout Unlimited, identified other dams that you'd like to remove, uh, maybe to increase fish passage and habitat connectivity? Absolutely, we have. Um, it's important to remember that uh, Rhode Island was the, the seat of the Industrial Revolutions. So there are these hundreds and hundreds of dams out there, some still in use, some derelict that uh, need to be addressed. Uh, some for aquatic passage, some for thermal pollution. It's important for our chapter to, to identify these dams, and it's also important for our chapter to make sure that we have willing partners to remove these dams. We do have a couple of dams that are in the Wood Pocketuck uh, watershed, in the Upper Wood River watershed that we're looking to remove. But it's, it's great to say that you can remove a dam, but I think uh, it's increasingly difficult to realize what it takes to remove a dam. And that's one of the things that our chapter is focusing on now is identifying these dams and the means and ways for which to remove them. I also think from what I know about you and the chapter, I, I think it's pretty impressive that you've managed to form some pretty strong coalitions with state and local government agencies, because like you said, it's, it's all about partnership. You, don't, you just don't bust into a a river and tear down a stone wall, it takes a lot of work with other agencies. And I think from what I've seen, it's a pretty amazing advancement to have such open lines of communication with um, like with, with our Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management. You've worked with people like Corey Pelletier, who's a, a, a biologist with DEM. And so you get the cooperation on the state level, which helps facilitate a little more efficient work and also bring some positive attention to the chapter doing all this good work. I think, I think you're exactly right. The important thing, too, is prior to us kind of focusing on the conservation and the dam removal project and the free-flowing uh, water, uh, we were primarily known as a, as a fishing chapter. We did a lot of fishing and a lot of uh, fish-related activities. It was important for us after we removed the dam on the Flat River to show these agencies our capacity to handle and to manage these particular projects. And I think once we did that, we just had, had started to have a lot of agencies and a lot of the governmental folks come on board to support us, not only in the work that we do, but in the in-kind donations that they give to us uh, when we apply for grants. So you're kind of saying that Trout Unlimited is not just a fishing club, it's more of a conservation club that happens to be largely filled with members who go fishing. There's a difference between a fishing club and a conservation club, I guess. I, th I think you're right. And I think the important part, at least from my part as being private president, is where do you where do you draw the line and how do you get members excited about our club? Do you get members excited about our club to go fishing and then uh, get into conservation? Or do you get the folks that are interested in conservation and then you try to teach them about fishing? You know, when TU was started uh, back in the 50s on the al River, the folks that started it said, take care of the fish and the fish will take care of themselves. I think it's important to realize that there has to be a happy medium. You have to be able to get volunteers and members from all walks of life, from all disciplines, and everywhere that you think they can. And everyone does have an opportunity to to take to become involved in our chapter. The 
piece and an important part for us is we need to find ways to make that happen. So, so if conservation is, um, if there's some serious focus on dam removal, I know you've done some preliminary work and some investigation work into the Big River Management Area, which is a really large piece of land in, here in the about the central part of the state, south central part of the state. What's what is two two five up to in the Big River Management Area now? So the Big River Management Area was one of our our greatest uh, successes back in. Uh, 2020, on the on the cusp of, of COVID, we applied for a grant through uh, NIFWIF, which is the National Fisheries and Wildlife Foundation, to do a complete habitat assessment of the Big River Management Area. The Big River Management Area, 8,300 acres, and as you said, Todd, in the middle of Rhode Island, uh, it's owned in perpetuity by the Rhode Island Water Resources Board in the state of Rhode Island. It was supposed to be a secondary secondary watershed and a secondary reservoir for the state of Rhode Island. After some tests, they realized that the land wasn't quite what they wanted to, but the Water Resources Board took it over because they said, well, maybe someday we'll take and and, uh, use this. One of the biggest things that that got the Water Resources Board on board after a couple of meetings is we realized that what was good for the Water Resources Board was good for protecting native brook trout. Cold, clean water, great habitat, lots of feeder streams, lots of streams, uh, so we applied for and received a $214,000 grant to do a complete study of the Big River Management Area. Uh, that took almost two years, and it w- resulted in a 324-page comprehensive report with some deliverables as to what can make the Big River Management Area more habitable for wild brook trout and free-flowing water. So 225 is busy. It's pretty obvious you, um, you're working in a lot of directions, all for the benefit of, of conservation I know you. the chapter meets regularly to do some road cleanups. Is that true down in the Arcadia area? We do. It's interesting because we consider the Arcadia area and the Wood River our home river. And I want to say maybe about four years ago, we decided to enroll in the Adopt-A-Highway project that cleans up sides of the road two miles either side of Route 165 in Rhode Island. Uh, Route 165 is considered to be the highway to our home. So anybody that's coming to fish, anyone that's coming to enjoy the amenities of the Wood River, we want to make sure that they have uh, clean roadways. Uh, we've gotten a lot of uh, response, a lot of volunteers, and it's just a pleasure to go down a two-mile stretch of highway and not see uh, nips and trash and cans and, and paper. I've been around for a couple of those, and that's a really phenomenal day when people get together on a Saturday to give up their time and go walk around with uh, those very attractive yellow vests and pick up other people's garbage. And in that area, can you also just tell us quickly about the Trees for Trout program, which is uh, what you do right around Christmas, and then there's some deployment about this time of year, right? Exactly. Actually, Trees for Trout, we're in our fifth or sixth year. It's been so long, I, I forget now. But it's such a fabulous program. Uh, was first kind of introduced in Connecticut at the Mayanus chapter of Trout Unlimited. So what we do is we take and we collect Christmas trees the first or second uh, weekend of January, Real Christmas trees, no fake ones, no tinsel, nothing, just straight what nature ordered. Uh, we stack them up for the summer, and we do a revetment, which is basically taking these trees through a series of ropes and stakes and strate- strategically placing them along the bank that has experienced a tremendous amount of erosion. Uh, what these trees do is they stabilize the bank, and through the natural flow of the river over a period of time, these trees will fill with sediment, They'll become part of the bank, and they'll actually become stronger than the bank. Our very first Trees for Trout installation about five years ago already is a solid bank, has flowers growing out of it. You wouldn't even know that there's a pine tree there, so we consider that to be a success. Even still, also provides habitat for trout in the springtime when the young of year come, and they want to hide in between the branches that are not quite filled in yet. So not only stabilizing banks, but we're ensuring the healthy population of broil brook trout. Now, I understand that Several of your monthly meetings include food. You've been known to bring some pretty amazing food to meetings, which I'm sure helps people get inspired to come pick up garbage on the side of the road. Um, I also understand that this month's meeting is the seventh annual chili cook-off, so I've been told. So my question is, do you personally feel you have a recipe to rival one of your members who I heard makes a pretty killer venison sausage chili? I'm asking for a friend. Asking for a friend, do you feel prepared for this meeting? Um, I do feel prepared for this meeting because um, I am probably going to, well, someone I know, I should say, is going to dust off the award-winning chili from last year. And not only was it award-winning, but it was award-winning by a landslide. And I want to say it wasn't quite 
chili-esque. It was more seafoodish. So we will take and see uh, who has. And to be honest with you, now that the the challenge has been thrown down, I was originally not going to have a judging piece of this particular chili cook-off. But I think the challenge has been thrown down, and I think we're going to have to have the membership judge. Wow. Sounds like the uh, the gauntlet is down. So um, so can you tell me what is on the what, what's on the radar for two two five for this for this fall and winter and coming year? I know the fishing slows down. Um, it gets a little tough around here in the winter to do activities outside. But what's on the what's on the radar for two two five? So we'll start with our, our monthly meetings that are held the last Wednesday of the month. Great opportunity. Uh, we have a huge lineup of speakers. What we found is it's really nice to get people to come in, and people actually like to listen to the lectures, about 45 minutes to an hour, uh, lots of pictures, lots of techniques. We have that series coming up for the fall time. Uh, what's really nice about the upcoming season and next year is as a result of that initial Big River Management grant that we got that delivered a lot of different opportunities for us, we are in the final phase of doing a, an assessment and a feasibility study of removing the Capwell Mill Pond Dam. That is a 100-year-old derelict dam in the Big River Management Area. We're just finishing that up now. Hopefully that when we finish up that report, we'll be applying for a grant to actually have the dam removed. So that's really nice. We've just received a grant through Southern New England Estuaries Program to remove the Sweet Mill Pond Dam. And this is actually a dam removal. Still in the Big River Management Area. Basically, it was a a feeder pond that fed the Capwell Mill pond. When uh, things got dry, there's about a, a mile and a half of, a, of stream. It was blown out back, uh, I want to say back in the late 90s during a big rainstorm. And so this was great. This is a great free-flowing river. It had an old cranberry bog kind of in there. We electrofished there. We found some trout. The water was ice cold. But guess what? People like to see the, uh, the pond. So over the course of the last 10 years, people manually filled the break back in with rocks. So we're looking to have that removed, restore that cold water flow and that cold water passage and educate the folks in that particular area. Again, 8,300 acres, well attended by a lot of uh, hikers and bikers and folks that just like out to be out there to get into nature. Uh, we're hoping to really put some signage up there to let them know what we're doing and how we're doing it. And hopefully uh, they'll understand. So that's a big deal for us. So that's going to be two definite dam removals, three working on it. And hopefully uh, the biggest one in the Arcadia management area will be coming up soon. And I'd love to be able to come back and report on that as soon as we have some answers. Okay, well, that's certainly an awful lot of information about all the good work that Chapter 225 of Trout Unlimited is doing. I really appreciate you coming here, Glenn. I appreciate you making the time for this. I know you are a very busy man. Now, if anybody would like to learn more about Trout Unlimited in general or Trout Unlimited in Rhode Island through your 225 chapter, how do they? Uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, the best way to get in touch with me certainly is by email. It's the quickest way to get there, tu225president at gmail.com. Pretty simple and straightforward, tu225president at gmail.com. And if you like what you heard tonight, it's important to remember, and I can certainly take care of this for you, is that for new members of 225, you get the first year at half price. So $17.50 will give you a one-year membership in Trout Unlimited. We'll give you everything you need to know about Trout Unlimited. We'll get you subscribed to the TU Magazine, and hopefully you'll become an active member of our chapter. Perfect. So there's your opportunity to learn more about Trout Unlimited. I do have one more question. Do you do you think it's appropriate to have seafood in Chile? I think I think this is an exploratory question. So I'm thinking that the members who voted it for first place last year thought so. Okay, well, we'll have to see about that one. That'll be in a following episode of the Fish Nerds podcast. Again, uh, Glenn, Glenn Place, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And thank you, everybody, in the Fish Nerds podcast world. Thanks for having us, and we will talk to you soon. All right, so how did that make you feel about uh, some conservation er efforts done by fishers? You know what? I always feel good about conservation efforts done by fishers and i always feel good about trout unlimited they do great work and so i'm always so happy to support them and have them on the show it is a lot of fun it's a lot of fun and it's amazing because even halfway around the world luke chalmers is just in awe of tu and all the good things that they do hopefully luke can you know the, the honest fish will grow to be uh, the uh, freshwater 
powerhouse conservation group the way TU is here one so. of these days. Let's hope so. Okay. Big shout out to Todd uh, for bringing that piece to us. And he is getting the fish wrap writer. And we appreciate him. I have not met Todd or talked to him yet. You've been, it's all been you. So I want to, one of these days, I want to get him on with you or just me and him on the show and get to know him a little bit better. Yeah. 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 And of course, if you want to know, you know, some things that, Maybe inside edition things. Uh, Tim Tacklebox Beat hung out with Todd at a um, ice fishing uh, event on Lake of the Woods, and that's how I got to know Todd at all. So, awesome. if you want to plow back through some old lure loves, there's the uh, the uh, uh, what the heck I can't even remember. It was called the the, the freeze out or something like that. Anyway, it was a, it was a one of my favorite episodes. It, it is a lot of yeah. a lot of fun i i love the fact that they built this entire village uh up there uh on the ice when the ice gets thick enough there are permanent shelters there is a bar and uh you can fish through the floor of the bar but go back and find that episode john if you can think of it find it and we'll drop that link to that one in our show notes here today so people can no problem right my friend yeah no problem so we got to move forward we got to go we do let's move on what's next all right, bro. Let's do one more thing. Should we do one more thing? Let's go it. Well, let's do a culinary corner with our own Jeff Danielson, the Flatland Fly Fisher, as he prepares sablefish. And we're going to learn about sablefish and how delicious it is and how to fix it up. Take her away, Jeff Danielson. What are you going to do? All right, Jeff. Now, when I contacted you, I was like, help me out, buddy. I need a piece. I need a, a culinary corner piece. You know, I, I said, send me something. Send me something on smoking trout. Send me something on, on tempura. Send me, just send me something because you, you love to cook fish. You, you know a lot of recipes and, and you're quite the, the very, very good amateur chef. I got radio silence all day. And then you hit me with this story about how you cooked up this fish called sablefish and sent me the recipe. And I have just been wigged out with enthusiasm. I just like been waiting for tonight and waiting. It's so exciting to be here at last. Jeff Donaldson, the fish nerd librarian, the fish nerd co-fly guy, and also one of our principal contributors to culinary corner or culinary corner. However you want to say it, fill me in on sablefish, baby. So the other day, my wife and I, Whitney and I were down at the Whole Foods store, which I don't usually shop at because it's a little out of, you know, it's Whole Foods, right? The right. joke is it's whole paycheck. But we were down there to do an <laughs> Amazon return and uh, wandered back to the seafood counter because they always have really good seafood there. I mean, that's just, yeah. So I wandered back there and I noticed all of a sudden I saw sable fish and it was priced very reasonably. And I hadn't had sable fish for, gosh, at least 20 years. I When I lived in the Seattle area of Washington, that's when I first had it. And I hadn't really ever had it since then. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, because I'd had it then. I was like, oh, this is a, this is like really delicious fish. And so I saw it and it wasn't an arm and a leg. And I said, all right, give me all of it you got, basically, that they had out on the, on the counter, which ended up being a little under two pounds. And so I took that home and I started banging around to find a recipe for it. And I, and it turns out that like there's this very, very famous recipe by a uh, restaurateur. His name is Nobu, and I can't remember his last name. Sorry, apologies to Nobu. But he has updated this kind of uh, traditional Japanese recipe, miso marinating this fish. So this fish is a, it, they call it black cod, but it's not in any way related to a cod. It is its own thing. It's a sable fish. It's native to the North Pacific. So, you know, it's a deep water fish. It's... Great virtue is is that it is a very high fat content fish, not unlike salmon, like some of the really good salmon, like a wild catch sockeye, wild catch king, just really, really high fat content, just literally melts in your mouth type type fish. But it's a white meat fish instead of uh, you know, a red meat fish like a like a salmon. So 
took that home and I got this recipe and I kind of slightly tweaked it myself just because of some of the ingredients I had and some of the methods I had. But if you want to look at the recipe that I basically used, um, go to seriouseats.com and look up easy broiled miso marinated black cod recipe. So this is basically what I used. Um, okay. So I, you know, you, you get on these rolls, bro. Uh, yeah. I get rolling. You gotta, you, you gotta, gotta stop you me. Gotta get, let me get, first of all, you don't even have to do that, baby. Cause we're going to have the link in the show notes for y'all. Okay. Um, second of all, when you talk about deep water fish, you ain't fooling around. This is the craziest thing, my man. We were on our way home from the gar fishing, or maybe it was as we were winding down on the river. I can't remember, but sablefish came up in the convo and you were telling me all about it and got into this thing about how deep each of us fished and what we thought about deep water. But these, these fish can be anywhere from like 70, 80 feet down all the way to what were you telling me? 800 feet down. Oh yeah. Or more. I mean, they really are deep water fish. And so, yeah. So like if you go out and fish for them yourself, it's going to be those dropping those one pound lead balls down to the bottom, you know, <laughs> on a big old heavy rig to, to catch one of these things. And there is a sport fishery for them up in Alaska, I believe. And I guess it's a pretty well managed fishery too. So that's another thing that you can feel good about eating this fish is yeah. that they. I, can is, I, I've got a comment yeah. on this too, because, you know, you sent me the article, I did my research and yeah, I was pleasantly surprised because I always cringe when it comes to fancy fish fish high in omega-3s because i know everybody's like oh wow i gotta get the the good the omega this and that out of these fish and so it's it's highly sought species and i uh, was pleasantly surprised not only to find that they're very well managed according to the what is it the noaa national oceanic and atmospheric associate no, administration and that was a pleasant surprise i went on to find out that not only that but in british columbia they're trying to farm them commercially or trying to find a way to farm them commercially and let the uh, First Nation people have a lion's share, the ones that would traditionally fish for this fish back in the day, have them be the ones that get the commercial uh, benefit, the profit benefit from running these fish farms. So good news story all the way around. So, yeah, guilt free or relatively so. Um, yeah. And and. uh Maybe a little decadent price wise, but if you're a savvy shopper, uh, you see it on sale. Jeff it wasn't says, crazy. It was like thirteen dollars a pound. Now that was this was like on sale. I think normally there at Whole Foods it's like twenty six dollars a pound, but that's comparable to like salmon, like really good king salmon or or sockeye salmon. That's not unreasonable. At least, at least in these parts, right? This they got to make it a long way to get here uh, in the middle of the smack dab <laughs> in the middle of the country, but. Um, yeah, so it wasn't ridiculously expensive. And honestly, with some of this stuff is like, you know, treat yourself. <laughs> I'm not going to spend, uh, routinely spend uh, $26 a pound on fish, but every once in a while, I do want that Copper River sockeye salmon. I do want this, uh, you know, the sable fish. I do want the good king salmon and I'm willing to pay for it. So, yeah. And so it is a really, really, oh gosh, it's such a, the texture of this stuff is just, it literally is like melts in your mouth. I mean, it's, it's crazy good. If you've had sockeye salmon, the good sockeye salmon it's a lot like that it just melts in your mouth wow wow, wow. and i and i look has a variety of names uh it's called sablefish by regulation here in the usa but different places in the world has these different names and one of them's butterfish right exactly <laughs> it does melts in your mouth just like butter like butter all right yep. let's get to it man because you can see i'm already uh, dangerously close to a four-hour geek out about this fish and the listeners want to hear about this recipe. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to behave. I'm going to turn it over to you and, and right. tell us what you did, bro. All right. So I did this just slightly different. Um, I had, I did not have the red or white miso paste, but I did have the Korean kind of equivalent to miso, which is called donjang. It's the same thing. It's a fermented soybean paste type stuff. Yeah. So I, a quarter cup of that. So I just cut my fish into, you know, little steak size pieces and then threw it in a, a bowl that had a sealing lid. And I just, I had mixed up this in off to the side. It's a quarter cup of miso, quarter cup of sake, two tablespoons of mirin, which is a sweetened uh, Japanese rice wine, two teaspoons of soy sauce, one tablespoon of vegetable oil, quarter cup sugar. I used maple syrup. And then, then my black cod, and I just put it in the container, shook it all up and stuck it in the refrigerator for, oh, I don't know, four or five hours. And then instead of broiling it, I did it on my little outside pellet smoker thing. So I set that thing at 225, 
stuck a temperature probe in it to let me know exactly when it hit 140 degrees. And that's important. And then just let it let it cook until it hit the target temperature. And the whole reason that you want it to hit this 140 degree temperature is there's these, the flesh is kind of arranged in like segments along the, the, say like the filet. And in between each of those little segments is a little membrane. And right at around 140 degrees, that membrane breaks down. And so otherwise it would, that would be put a little bit of chewiness into that otherwise buttery texture. So you want to get it just past that 140 mark just to get it to break down that bear, that little membrane and then pop that sucker out of the smoker and put it on a plate and eat it. And let me tell you, it, it really does just melt in your mouth. And it's got a, the, this marinade thing is kind of a, a really interesting mix of like really savory and salty and sweet all together at once. So it's, it's a really good recipe. It's definitely one that's going back in rotation uh, and I, to, to, to use on other fish, not just this uh, sable fish, but yeah, I think any kind of oily type fish, this would work fairly well with. Yeah, I think so too. And then uh, when you get into something like a blue cat, you know, I think uh, as far as my world and my fish that I eat, I think that's what I'm going to do. It won't have the the fat. Maybe I'll put a little, little uh, uh, neutral oil in with it or rub the filet in, in some oil or something. But yeah, it sounds out of this world. And I'm glad you mentioned the membrane because in the article you sent me, they, they recommend using a skewer or a cake test or whatever i guess that's a i don't know right. what that is. it's a it's a metal skewer or something but uh because my my cake tester has always been a, a skewer or a toothpick but yeah something just to make sure that membrane has gotten supple and, and broken down like you say and they recommend to do the the chefy thing and and leave it somewhat uh medium the guy says i defy you to overcook this it's so rich it's so full of yeah oil. it's gonna be hard it to will not get it's you're not gonna dry it out it's just it's got such a high oil content and um i don't know what you'd have to do to this you'd have to just like put it on a screaming hot skillet and leave it there for 15 minutes or something i don't know but it, it's <laughs> yeah it's it's really really it's not gonna overcook very easily and the thing that yeah the thing he said to use to check the and it's jake it's the our my favorite guy as my my wife always calls him my man crush jake kenji lopez all um is the guy that the had wrote this recipe adapted the nobu recipe he used a temperature probe that he was you know, when you test the temperature, but also when you push that thing in, you should be able to feel the resistance or not. I had just the regular remote temperature probe that could read like with my phone because it's because nowadays everything's has to go through your phone. But anyway, yeah, I got it. I got it up to about 145 before I pulled it off just to give it a little extra wiggle room to break down that membrane. And sure enough, it did. It flaked right apart. I mean, you you take your fork and put it into it and it would just... Oh, just John, it was so great. I'm going to be watching the specials down at Whole Food every once in a while now. Well, I, I'm I'm thinking Christmas, New Year's, the, the traditional time for me to splurge. And and if I can find some, I think I may, may go for it. Um, we'll just have to see. Now, I'm going to ask you a personal question, my man. Is this is this how is this how or, or at least part of your strategy for winning Whitney's heart? Because I know you like to cook for your wife. And I know she really digs it. So was was the dating process uh, uh, involving uh, Jeffy Sheffy going to town in the kitchen? Well, yeah, and and frankly, she's a really good cook too. She can she oh. ran a pie break. She ran a pie break bakery for a while. So wow, okay. <laughs> two of us kind of is definitely she definitely like uh, during the pandemic when I was at home all the time and cooking all the time. She's like, all right, I got to figure out a way to make enough money to have you at home being a house husband cooking all the time. So. <laughs> so uh yeah so yeah i mean yeah it's it's a part of it i mean and i just enjoy cooking it's and i'm i'm much i'm much more she kind of covers the home style stuff and i'm the one that's the more out there you know i'm gonna go do all these especially asian cuisine recipes also a lot of middle eastern stuff too i like to mess with that stuff between the two of us there's a lot of good cooking in this house <laughs> well it sounds fantastic i mean not to say it wasn't your devastating good looks i mean i know oh, yeah, that and, you know and, and 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 winning wit and uh dashing charm yeah exactly i mean of, of course of course of course but anyway uh super exciting well anyway thank you jeff this is fantastic i asked you for something simple but you come back with this and just hit me right between the eyes <laughs> wonderful wonderful story thank you sir 
appreciate yeah, no you problem. doing our culinary corner for this episode. And you can look forward to me. Like I've been like looking at a lot of stuff in the, in the uh, freezer section over at my local Asian grocery. And I'm like, huh, belt fish. What is that? So uh, there's a lot of things in there. Like I've never tried before. I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe it's time to try these things. So you try them, you come back right. and tell us all about it. Thank all you, right. Jeff Donaldson. And we will but, talk to you soon. And bye, John. Made it a long ways. Yeah, well, let's wrap it here. <laughs> let's wrap it. Let's wrap it. All right, Clay, you know what? They've listened to a couple of fish nerds when they should have been out fishing. Yeah, we do have a lot of thank yous today. A uh, big thank you to Glenn Place, Todd Correa, Jeff Danielson, Costa Sunglasses, the old trapper, old-fashioned beef jerky people, <laughs> the mysterious bait caster cylinder for the culinary corner music, Diana's Bass Salts for Fish the News, of course, Wally Pleasant for the show theme. And, of course, you, the listener, for tuning in this week. So, John, until next time. Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. <laughs> we, until next time. We, we should practice do? this sometime. Well, and then we'll be good at it. Who, who, who's going to do the spawn line? You do you it. Me? Yeah. You want me to up? Yeah. All right. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. <laughs> Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. We did it, John. We we made a podcast. We made a podcast ourselves. and you Maybe survived. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting those ankles wet. Or deep in the ocean casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the hell of it. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. All right, John. All right, bro. All right, I'm going to go because I have nothing left. So You have nothing left. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. Thanks. Bye now. Mm-hmm.